I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Alone, a love story. I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 28. Love after love. Going home. The rest of 2017 goes on. With or without the man with the white shirt. This time around, I don't date hard. I don't date at all. I don't have the heart for it. I mean, if something happens, it'll happen. But I'm not going to try and find someone to replace him. Someone to help me get over him. I don't want to get over him this time. Or at least, I don't want to have to work at getting over him. So, I focus on my actual work my career, my writing, and I focus on Bertie. I spend a lot more time with my friends, especially women. We go to movies, clothing swaps, make dinner together. We text each other when we know something important is happening or something hard. Bertie tags along a lot. She's one of the girls, even though she's decidedly ungirly. I love that about her. I love that she wears only jeans and baggy hoodies and doesn't know or care about brands or trends. I cultivate these female friendships like I never have before. This is a new phase of my life where I'm not concerned about being single again, not concerned about chasing men where I can't be bothered to waste my small amount of free time texting them endlessly, even though they never want to make real plans to meet in real life. I'm over it. I'm ready to be chased. I'm ready to be adored. I'm ready to not have to guess, or haggle, or hustle for someone's time and attention. I'm finally thinking about love as not only a thing I give, but a thing that's also given to me, consistently. I want to feel the way it felt with the husband for most of our 12 years together. It feels amazing to love and be loved, to fall asleep talking with your legs touching, to be comfortable with someone and still so attracted to them, to share your life. I can't think of a more worthwhile feeling, actually. Okay, not true. Another worthwhile feeling happens sometime that same year after White Shirt breaks up with me, and it is this. I want to go home now. I like it. I like it. I know, right? Finally. It's like my apartment's been a train station since I moved here, after the bomb. I've always thought of it as temporary. 
I've never articulated this, but it's been here, way down in the basement of my heart's mind, lurking, tricking me into thinking this wasn't permanent. I just assumed I would only live here for a few years. Then, of course, I'd meet someone, we'd fall in love, move in together, and I'd have to sell this place. But that simple thing I thought would be a given may not actually ever happen. So this apartment isn't temporary. It's mine. I bought it with my own money and filled it with tiny, eclectic things. And I guess I'm ready to finally see it as it really is. My home and Bertie's home. It's ours. You would never know to look at it that all these years I considered it a way station. If you know me and have been here, I bet you found that all very surprising. But it's true. And once I realized that it really was my home, suddenly it was easier to come back to without trepidation or needing sedation. I just started walking in the door and enjoying it, even when Bertie isn't here. I start to really look forward to having the time to make music or do sewing projects or write this story for you. It took nearly six full years after the bomb to be okay with being alone in my own home. To want to be alone here. To love it. Not all the time, but at least some of the time. It's just like a poem I read years ago, but never believed. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome. Love after love. Just like the poet Derek Walcott said, he was right. It happens. And so I go home. I finally, finally go home. And it's good. Still, every time I see two people holding hands as they walk down the street, I wince. Campbell. In October 2017, I meet a boy in a coffee shop near my apartment. A cute little place he runs with his brother. He's made me many a delicious Americano in the past, but I've never paid any attention to him until now. For some reason, today we strike up a real conversation. 
For the next few weeks, when I come home from work, I find him sitting outside the coffee shop having a smoke. He always waves me down and I sit with him and talk for a bit about love and music and philosophy. He's very sweet and young and kind of goofy. An Albertan farm boy, relatively new to the city. I like how un-Toronto he is. We become friends. We bond over broken hearts. The farm boy talks nonstop about the Brazilian girl, a woman his heart bleeds for, even though they only dated a short time and she did not feel the same. So he understands how my heart beats only for the man with the white shirt. He understands the addiction that is another person, how powerful the magic is, how much of a trickster it can be. It's 90% of what we talk about, the Brazilian girl and the man with the white shirt. I even make a joke that they've probably slept with each other. And we laugh, then both wince at the same time. Even the thought is like tiny shards of flying glass right into each of our hearts. Farm Boy is an abstract painter. Painting so absolutely beautiful, I can hardly believe this goofy stoner is the one that painted them. He's supremely talented. I watch his process, the way he pours the paint and resin, the colors he chooses, and how each of the finished canvases seem to be named after the Brazilian girl or other ex-girlfriends. I can look at them for hours, staring at the swirls of turquoise and magenta, the flecks of gold, the long straight lines that bisect the madness. I even help him with taping the lines of one painting, which he names Shamble, after himself this time, not an ex-girlfriend. Later, I will buy that painting and hang it in my apartment, a long canvas of complicated beauty, not unlike the farm boy himself. For the first few months after we meet, we text a lot, just buddies. I feel almost like an older sister to him sometimes. There's no heat between us. He seems absolutely uninterested in me in a romantic or sexual way, and I feel the same. So we smoke a lot of weed and talk about the ones we love who don't love us back the way we so desperately need them to. At the beginning of December, I bring him to a big annual party my friend Pint Size always throws. It's a huge bash, and I figure it'll be good for him to meet new people. At the party, he's fun and sweet, and a bit shy in the crowd of mostly older and more sophisticated big city media types. Sometimes, he puts his arm around me tentatively. When Pint Size says to him, Well, aren't you the most adorable thing? Are the two of you lovers? He lets out a loud, nervous giggle, looks at me, then quickly at the floor. His reaction makes me consider him differently for a moment. The innocence of it all. At 2 a.m. in the kitchen, while the party thins out in the living room, I laugh at something he says, and out of nowhere, farm boy just leans in and gives me a fantastic kiss. A knock-you-off-your-feet kiss. A time to take this elsewhere kiss. 
I haven't been with anyone but the man with the white shirt in well over a year. But in my bed, everything goes incredibly right with Farm Boy. Everything goes great. I sleep deeply and comfortably beside him all night. In the morning, he cooks me the best eggs I've ever had. At first, I find it all a bit swoony, just to be swept up out of nowhere like that, just to be around a guy that isn't like all the rest of the Toronto guys. I call him Farm Boy, and he blushes and calls me darling. Even his texts, Night, darling, or Hey, darling, how's your day going? He always capitalizes darling. It's charming and even a bit disarming, like maybe it's okay for me to try and date again. Farm Boy helps distract me somewhat from my obsessiveness over white shirt. And it's nice, for the first time since the bomb, to be with someone I was friends with first. But in short enough time, it's clear, although we enjoy each other's company, it's not in any kind of serious, long-term romantic way. We're way too different. He's 27 and lives in near squalor. I've just turned 43 and live like a full-on adult. He's intelligent, talented, with plenty of ambition and ideas, but lacks focus or direction or know-how. He's a happy-go-lucky stoner who smokes all the time. It's one of the things I find really disagreeable. There's so much smoking. On the plus side, He texts and calls me frequently, and we hang out regularly and have a lot of fun together. But when I look at him, I just don't get the thing inside me, the feeling. Not like when I look at the man with the white shirt, whose smell and skin and body are the most intoxicating drugs to me. Not like when the husband used to look at me, and it felt like he was setting fire to me from the inside out. But farm boy is cute and sweet and really really great in bed. So great. He is the first and only guy I've enjoyed as much as white shirt when it comes to sex. It's pretty cool, this being friends and not being obsessed with each other. This having amazing regular sex without all the heartache and drama. All in all, it's a pretty good thing, this thing that isn't a thing. This thing between the farm boy and I. Midnight on New Year's Eve, he kisses me long and sweet. There in my friend the lawyer's living room, so close to the spot where, just the year before, the man with the white shirt kissed me at midnight, then said it was the best New Year's Eve kiss he's ever had, that it was his happiest New Year's Eve. And right after, Fleetwood Mac's You Make Love and Fun came on, and we laughed and sang it out loud in each other's arms. It was always my least favorite song on that album. I thought it was so cheesy. Until that moment, when it became my favorite. Because now it was a memory and a feeling. The feeling of being someone's happiest, best New Year's Eve kiss. The farm boy kisses me good at midnight, close to the spot of that memory. Then lights a cigarette and looks away. I know he's thinking of the Brazilian girl 
just like I'm thinking of the man with the white shirt. It's okay. This is our undeclared agreement. In the new year, we continue on, seeing each other once a week or so, not really dating, but spending time together. I don't like going to his place, which is cramped and messy and in a house with a million other people. So Farm Boy comes to my apartment, with its spaciousness and cleanliness, and we order in Thai food and watch movies and smoke weed on my balcony. I listen to him talk for hours, until we finally go to bed. We don't go out for dinner, or go to the art gallery, or have expensive cocktails, or go dancing, like I would if I was actually dating someone. Instead, our relationship is about hanging out. I'm fine with it that way. As long as I can have good, regular sex with one person, I'm halfway to happy. It's something for right now. Me at 43, tired of dating and being disappointed, tired of texting and being ghosted, and not at all interested in swiping some app where men my own age ignore me or send me dick pics. So I choose this instead. For now, I will hang out with this sweet 27-year-old who calls to make sure I'm doing okay and cooks me amazing meals and gives me, finally, a body I want to sleep beside on a regular basis. If he's had a lot to drink, he snores. And I kind of like it because it makes me feel like the man with the white shirt is there beside me. I don't even put my earplugs in like I normally would. I turn away and pretend it's white shirt at my side. Where are you going? He says from the depths, a farm boy even in sleep, and pulls me back into him. But even though he feels and smells different, his snores are white shirt snores, and I feel no guilt pretending. This is something separate, and I know farm boy wouldn't mind anyway, because he's dreaming about his Brazilian girl and the magic only she can give him. And so we go on like this for a long, long time. We're friends and lovers and pretenders together. It works for us. It's just this. It isn't something else. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Monogamish. After a time, I'm seeing both of them. The farm boy, and yes, occasionally, the man with the white shirt. Here I am with two lovers. Two men who care deeply for me, but neither of which are my boyfriend. And together, they don't add up to one either. In this rare case, one plus one equals negative one to me. Negative one real partner. It bugs me that this is my love life, that my only choice is polyamory or celibacy. So what can I do? 
Sex is the main reason I want a monogamous relationship, honestly. Safe, good sex, regularly and often. And the best way of getting that is in a committed relationship. For the man with the white shirt and others like him, variety is important. Being able to pursue whomever you're interested in whenever you want. Something about the energy you get from a new relationship. Which all sounds great. I'm not going to lie. And he and I have talked about it a lot. But I'll tell you what I told him. The scales are tipped way in his favor in this arrangement. White Shirt and I are both in our 40s now. And that means he's still young. And I am old. Even though we're the same age. White Shirt is a handsome and charming man. He's kind, sweet, and very non-threatening to women. I am as threatening as you get to men. I own my own home. I have a successful career. I'm often smarter and funnier than they are. And let's not forget the baggage. I have a child, an ex-husband, and a gigantic hole in my heart caused by the gigantic trauma that was the bomb. White Shirt has no such baggage. He has no ties or responsibilities. He can be light and easygoing and spontaneous, all attractive qualities in a person. I am bound by a complicated co-parenting schedule and mortgage payments and a gigantic hole in my heart. Lastly, there's danger. When White Shirt sleeps with other women, the worst that happens is that maybe it wasn't that great. When I sleep with other men, I'm rolling the dice every single time. Even the nice, smart, educated, handsome ones can turn into monsters. Remember? I remember. So there's nothing equal about non-monogamy to me. It's a totally different game for each of us. And I'm so tired of playing it. Wildwood. I'm in Mexico by myself in a small apartment in the old town of Puerto Vallarta, a city I love and know well. I was first here in 1998, backpacking with my boyfriend at the time, the musician. We stayed in a little hotel for $11 American per night, eating fish fresh caught and cooked on the beach, served on sticks. It's always been one of my top vacation memories. The freedom of it. The fun. In 2015, I was here with the man with the white shirt. Eight days of heady bliss. Staying in an apartment on the bank of the river. Buying groceries like locals. Our days filled with sun, cerveza, and sex. 
This time, in 2018, I'm in an apartment on my own, high up the hill overlooking the ocean. I'm so burnt out from work and life's demands that I don't care that no one's here with me. Okay, I care, but it isn't debilitating. It hasn't stopped me from coming all this way and enjoying myself. Leading up to it, I even mentally prepared that I might cry the entire time. But at least I'd be in Mexico. In truth, I'm not all by myself. Each night I hang out with a large group of gay men that I met through a cool guy I know from Vancouver. He's in Puerto Vallarta with his husband, a thing I only discovered on Instagram after I booked the trip. Delighted to see photos of his manicured toenails on the beach, painted the same blue as my own. He told me to text him when I arrived, and I thought maybe I'd have dinner with them one of the nights, and that'd be nice, since the idea of eating all those meals alone was daunting. But instead, he and his husband fold me into their large group of fellas, taking me along to bar after bar, drinking, doing karaoke, dancing, not a woman in sight. One of their friends is a young Portuguese guy I instantly click with. We become fast friends and hang out all night together, calling each other little brother and little sister, even though I'm more than a decade older. Little brother lives in Puerto Vallarta part of the year and Toronto the other part. He's more subdued than the other guys, who are all making the most of their vacation in a manner I can only describe as hedonistic. The night we meet, we all dance at a popular gay bar until 2 a.m., and when all the guys in our group disperse, little brother says to me, Okay, you want to go to a place with good music now? And we go across the street to another bar where I don't know any of the music, but it's good. Really good. We dance for two more hours, and in that time, I'm free. More free than I've felt in all my 43 years. I don't think about the man with the white shirt, or the ex-husband, or even the farm boy. I don't think about work, or birdie, or my family, or the leaky faucet in my kitchen, and the baseboards that need painting, or how my car needed an oil change six months ago, and I still haven't done it yet. I don't think about any of it. I just dance. I just dance in Mexico at 4 a.m. in an open-air bar and don't have to worry about skeezy guys hitting on me because they're all gay here and I'm free. Free to move my body however I want. Free to smile at people without that being an invitation to unwanted attention. Free to dance with little brother and not have a care in the world. In these few hot hours, in this tiny bar in Puerto Vallarta. All of the last six complicated years of my life evaporates. And this is it. Unfiltered, actual happiness.
Each night, I hang out with the guys and spend my days alone. I paint watercolors, read, listen to podcasts, and swim in the pool that's right below my apartment window. I cook myself lunch and eat it on the tiled balcony overlooking the ocean. I nap for as long as I like. It's perfect, and I don't cry. Not once. I've finally severed the lonely from its conjoined twin, alone. Loneliness and being alone are no longer one. And the same for me. I can be one without feeling the other. Holy fuck. Finally. I finally feel like I'm going to find my way out of the wildwood. I still struggle with loneliness most days. I'm not going to lie. I often feel dangerously close to the edge of that dark pit of despair, that well I'm so afraid of falling down. But I fight it hard with regular therapy and friendship, without alcohol, with more rest. I work at it. I concentrate on finding the silver lining, that thin, shimmery thread that keeps me in this world. It's lucky that no matter what, I always manage to find something sparkling out of the corner of my eye, something to hold on to. Like a flower that sprouted up in a parking lot, right there in the middle of concrete and garbage. Or the sound of a friend's big laugh, huge and deep and infectious. Or the smell of a baby's head. No, better, the smell of a co-worker's baby's head, which I can hand back as soon as the crying starts. Once I start to look, I find silver linings everywhere. In the way Birdie rolls her eyes just like I do, or the way all the women I know elevate one another. Or the fact that we humans ever invented airplanes, and photography, and birth control. I decide to believe that there's a silver lining with me, always, because I can't lose hope to despair. If I do, despair will swallow me whole and not even taste me. Instead, hope takes its time. Hope holds my hand. Hope throws daggers at despair and shouts, fuck off, and runs down the street in fits of giggles with her girlfriends. Hope glints in the sun. It's a text that says, I have your back. It's Birdie's voice calling out from her room at night, piercing the silence. Hey, Mom! I love you! Have a good night! It's the glowing center of me that's been dampened, sure, but will never be extinguished.
I don't have a happily ever after ending for you. Sorry. This story doesn't end with White Shirt and I heading off in a flying car. There's no surprise double wedding. No perfectly tied bow. There's only the truth about life, which is that it keeps on going, and most days in very boring, regular ways. Bertie gets older, and so do I. We're going through puberty and menopause at the exact same time. Awesome. Lately, she's really into reading a book about how to deal with going back and forth between separate parents and separate homes. Just reviewing things now that I'm older, she tells me. We miss each other a lot more now when we're apart, but at least we can text each other, which is nice. The invisible thread between us remains. For now. I mean, I don't know what will happen when she becomes a teenager. I don't know what happens next at all. This is a living document, you know. So I need to get back to it now. The living it. You've been listening to Alone, a love story. Written by me, Michelle Parisi. The story editor and co-producer is Mark Apollonio a champion of story structure and friendship. Okay, rather than and boom, like really quick, uh-huh. what about and boom? Like, I think that's what I am doing, aren't I? <sighs> <laughs> one page, and then we're done. Because we need to eat some jerk chicken. Mm, can't wait. <laughs> The theme music for Alone, A Love Story is called Orbit. It's a song I wrote for the ex-husband back in 1999 when he was still just the scientist. In 2016, the artist Yehenda took a cassette copy of me performing the song and turned it into the beautiful music you've heard under all the credits and throughout the podcast as what we call the husband's theme. Yehenda also wrote the man with the white shirts theme called Blow Away, as well as two other songs you hear a lot in the series, Pick a Direction and Hard Times. You can find out more about the music in Alone, A Love Story at cbc.ca slash alone. There are also playlists, videos, photos, and a lot more stories about the stories I've been telling you. I'm Michelle Parisi. It's been a sincere pleasure sharing this story with you. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.